Hello there. And uh, now we finally come to the end of the Extreme Rules series with uh, Extreme a review of Extreme Rules 2018. Uh, uh, I won't be reviewing Extreme last year's Extreme Rules Extreme Rules 2019. Um, I watched it once. Uh, there was one good match with the Undertaker on it, and I believe that's on the YouTube channel for free. I noticed, so uh, check that one out. Undertaker and Roman versus Drew and Shane, great match if you haven't seen it. But the the rest of that show <laughs> sucked a big donkey dick, so I don't want to watch it again. And I noticed it's not one of the free ones on the network at the moment. I'm not currently subscribing to the network. Uh, and as such, I won't be reviewing um, the this year, Extreme Rules 2020 because I won't be fucking watching it. Uh, I, if anything, if if Alex has got any segments and they're put on YouTube, hopefully they'll be, they'll be put on YouTube. I'll be able to watch that. But there uh, we go. I've got Extreme Rules 2018 on DVD, but I did notice it's actually part of the free part as well. So there you go. But yeah, yeah, let's get going with this uh, review of the show. Um, it kicks off with a tag raw tag title match: uh, Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt, Wyatt versus the B Team, aka Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas. This was all right, to be honest. It seems odd that you've got an Extreme Rules pay per view and you don't kick off with one of the stipulation matches. But uh, again, this was kind of a jobbery match, just put in right at the start and. Bray Wyatt really had hit rock bottom at this point in time, really. Not long after this, they had to repackage him, so I'm not surprised. Um, this whole thing with him and Matt Hardy, they won the tag titles, but oh, God, what a... This was awful. They were awful together. Whether it be facing each other or as a team, it just didn't work. And they, they, that was when Matt Hardy came back to WWE. All the smarts were like, oh, broken Matt against Bray. This will be amazing. What a feud and what a team, man. It was shit. Let's be real. I'll be honest with you, 100% honest with you, never liked broken or woken or anything, Matt Hardy, even, even when I used to like TNA. I, I did like the final deletion match, but the whole thing was, it just wasn't funny. I'm sorry. It's the type of thing. If you show it to any friend who's who's maybe not a laps wrestling fan or doesn't watch for a while or doesn't watch or whatever, you said, "Hey, come look at this. This is awesome." And if they, if they watched Broken Matt Hardy and what, they'd look at this garbage. This guy going every five seconds, and they probably never speak to you again if you showed them that. But oh god. Anyway, and now he's get creative freedom in AEW, so apparently he can go about teleporting. Okay, fair enough. But uh, here we go. Anyway, I digress. This match is fine. Quite a short little match, but I didn't need no. It, it didn't need to go in long. It was actually fine. B team win, win the tag titles. Fine, absolutely fine. No problem. Hey, look, they're jobber belts anyway. Who cares who holds them? And so you get them to these jobbers. But th here's the thing: at least these jobbers weren't overhyped. They actually could be mildly entertaining. They have a little interview after it as well. When I think it's Curtis Axel goes on about Stretch Armstrong. Stretch into the moon, and it's actually quite funny. Bo Dallas was always quite good when he first came on the main roster with his Bo Leave gimmick. They could have done so much more with that, but yeah, well, there you go. That's WWE for you, especially from 2014 onwards. But you know what? They went with them winning the tag belts, fine. Doesn't outstay its welcome this match. Uh, the first two matches on the card, funny enough, don't have any stipulations. Uh, there's a, oh, before that, Kurt Angle does an interview in which he says if Brock Lesnar doesn't turn up tomorrow on Raw, then he's going to get stripped to the Universal title. And of course, I, this also reminds me the Marks back in this time who were always like, ah, oh, lazy Lesnar, this is terrible, he doesn't show up to work. And it's like, 
do, do you realise, do these morons not realise that's the contract they were signed to? It's, it's WWE's fault, not his. If, if WWE want to sign him to that contract and then put the title on him for that length of time, then that's on WWE, not Brock Lesnar. Most normal people would if we're, would accept that contract and say, thanks very much, I ain't doing any more for it, especially for the way WWE treat most of their employees or uh, independent contractors as they are. Uh, the marks don't see it that way because they do it for free because, let's be honest, they're fucking marks. And anyway, next up, uh, Finn Balor versus Baron Corbin. Oh, God. Two of the most boring people on the history of the planet. Uh, again, funny enough, this wasn't a stipulation match, it was just a normal match. But again, kind of like this one, a match I didn't have any interest in uh, going into, but it turned out fine. It wasn't bad. It just sort of did what it did. Uh, you had Finn Balor, who I've, I've made my point in the 2017 review about him, just absolute definition of vanilla midget. It's just boring. Uh, Baron Corbin, a uh, big guy now. At this point in time, he was Constable Corbin. For, for some reason, they actually gave this guy a talking gimmick, even though he can't cut a promo worth the shit. So there you go, putting him as an authority figure. But ah, there you go. But I will say this about Corbin. He improved a lot. He did improve because when he first came on, like when he won the money in the bank the year el earlier, he was the drizzling shits, just terrible. But once he went bald, he actually had a much better look about him. In real life, he actually comes about across as quite well. I actually, I think he's quite funny when he's twittering when he like owns Meltzer and the Smarts and everything. So I like him better in real off screen than I do on screen. I will say that for him. So and he did improve. So if somebody improves fine. That's all he can ask for. And you can see effort from him. So fair play to him. Uh, Balor wins with a inside cradle. Nah, whatever. It is what it is. Could have been worse. Up next, Asuka against uh, Carmella for the SmackDown Women's title with uh, James Ellsworth in a shark cage above the ring. Um, quite a fun match, actually. I quite like this match. Car this was a funny one. This really came across what I thought was when Asuka first came to the main roster, I honestly think this near two-year unbeaten streak in NXT did her no favours, none whatsoever. There was kind of no need for that. There was this ridiculous hype that she could never live up to. All the smarts pumped her up saying, oh, she should always go unbeaten. She should go unbeaten for years and all this. But then it became, okay, the problem is she couldn't cut a promo because she can't speak English very well. So every week she was on TV, she had to wrestle, which meant... In the first few months she was on Raw, she basically ran through the entire Raw women's division. All their matches were predictable because you know they weren't going to end the streak on a random Raw. Even tag matches with her became predictable when they started saying that her streak was on the line in tag matches to the point where it even ruined the match match challenge when you had Michael Cole every five seconds going, remember guys, Asuka's streak is on the line in this tag match even if her partner gets pinned. It's like, well, cheers, you should have said spoiler out there, Michael, but uh, fuck's sake, they did her no favours and I think that really didn't get her over too well with any sort of casual audience. She's better now. She's better now from what I've seen. I don't really see much nowadays, but from what I've seen, she's doing the shouting in Japanese and people seem to like that, I suppose. I mean, to me, I think that could get very old very quickly, but whatever. She's trying again. Fair play to Asuka. But in this match, yeah, Carmella's another one. She had a nice little run with a SmackDown Women's title. I think they brought back James Ellsworth because Carmella's always best when she's got a sidekick, like, such as when she had Ellsworth, all those... 
times back and when she had our, when she was paired by our truth because on her own I don't dislike her but ugh, there's I just don't there's nothing special she's all right but I'm, I'm sorry but with her heel run a lot of the time she just came across as a poundland version of Alexa she just did just nowhere seems like she was trying to be like that but never as good like for example the night she won the Smackdown Women's title she tried to do like the Alexa Elimination Chamber promo and it was just a cheap copy it just didn't work sorry just didn't but here she wins the she retains the title because uh, Asuka gets pushed into the cage when it's lowered down and uh, fair enough good results smarts cried about this i was happy so that makes me when the smarts are have a meltdown it's always good for a laugh so fair play uh it's a fun little match i actually quite liked it it was for for somebody who i always liked actually as a character on screen but you kind of found out other stuff about him in real life and it's just like oh well ah oh, well shame bloody shame Anyway, let's forget about that. Moving on. Uh, up next, US title, Jeff Hardy versus Nakamura. Uh, this, this is a funny one because Nakamura low blows Jeff Hardy behind the referee's back before the bell rings. And then when the bell rings, he basically Kinshasa or whatever it's called um, and then pins him within seconds. So this match is over with pretty quick. Nakamura wins US title. Fine by me. I didn't really care going into this match. So if you want to get it over with quickly, suits me suits me to be honest uh, Nakamura, the whole Nakamura going about low blowing people he's, he started doing it well, after the Wrestlemania match with AJ Styles and then he started doing it like literally every week for months on end so it was just like yeah, whatever, it's like once they get one thing in their head WWE, they just do it over and over and over again it gets boring after a while, but there you go. You got this match out of the way quickly. For some strange reason, Randy Orton comes out and attacks Jeff Hardy. Eventually, they, they did have a Hell in a Cell match, I think, in September, but at SummerSlam, they just did Jeff Hardy and Nakamura again. So if this was going to... What was the point? I can't even remember what the point of Randy Orton attacking Jeff Hardy is, because SummerSlam was the next event after this. So eh, it was just weird, but whatever. It is what it is. Uh, anyway, moving on. Up next, uh, Team Hell No versus the Bludgeon Brothers for the tag titles. So this was interesting. You actually reunited. Daniel Bryan was not long cleared at this point. So you reunite him and Kane, which is quite a nice move, actually, because this always ties in to what I say about Daniel Bryan being the best of the smart favourites. He can play a character. He can get anything over. And that was an example of that even before the whole Yes movement thing. Him and Kane were really good together. They were in some great little segments. The Dr. Shelby stuff, this is a prime example. The stuff with him, Kane, and Dr. Shelby were really good back in, what was it, 2012, 13, whatever it was. They tried to do that again a couple of years ago with Sasha and Bailey, and guess what happened? It was shit. You know what the difference is? Daniel Bryan and Kane are entertaining performers. Sasha and Bailey can't act worth the fuck. That's the difference. But anyway, earlier in the night, the Bludgeon Brothers attack Kane, so it's it's a handicap match for much of the time. Then Kane comes in towards the end. Essentially, it's a handicap match, pretty much. Bludgeon Brothers win. The match is fine. It's, it's not bad. It's kind of weird because you give this little pop of bringing them back. You could quite easily have just put the titles on Daniel Bryan and Kane for the night. And then took it in a few, and I know they went on to Daniel Bryan versus Miz at SummerSlam a month later, which was the bigger program. 
you could easily just gave them a, a win here just for a feel-good moment and then have the Bludgeon Brothers win the titles back on SmackDown, the next SmackDown, with maybe Miz interfering, which helps set the match up. You could have just for a feel-good, because let's be real, no one gave a fuck about the Bludgeon Brothers, did they? They were lame as fuck. Oh, God. They were, and if you say, well, if you took the titles off them, that would kill the Bludgeon Brothers' momentum, would it? Who fucking cares about them? It's Luke Harper, he's still, apparently he's still sending out that tweet every day saying, it's such and such a day. You know what that means? Yeah, we know what that means. No one, you're still not a fucking draw. Anyway, although he, mean, he gets a title shot straight away in AEW. Enough said about that company. Anyway, up next we come to Roman Reigns versus Bobby Lashley. Yeah, this is an excellent match. Really enjoyed it. Now, th- there's slight problems about the presentation of this match or the booking of it. Not so much the match itself. The match itself is excellent. Bobby Lashley wins clean, which is great for him. Because uh, Roman goes for his spear, but Bobby gets up and spears him first. Really good finish. Really good. The other thing is, though, they were having pull-apart brawls on Raw in the build-up to this, if I remember right but they never put a stipulation on this match, which is probably why it never main evented. And I remember Smarts were moaning online saying, if we don't want this the main event, we want Ziggler and Roland to main event. They got what they wanted, um, more on that later. But, yeah, the match itself was really good, but there was no stipulation. Um, when you could easily put something, even false count anywhere or something like that in there. It was, and eventually, again, a couple of weeks later on Raw, they had, a rematch with Reigns when Reigns beat Lashley in it, but that was officially a number one contenders match for Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. I mean, here's the thing. It's nice that Bobby Lashley got a win, and in many ways, it's his best win since being back in WWE. I know he held the Intercontinental title, but that doesn't mean much. But it's kind of empty because there was nothing on the line here. And then a month later, he gets this huge victory over basically the full-time face of the company, Roman Reigns. And yet, a month later at SummerSlam, this big show of the summer, he's not on the card at all. Not even on the pre-show, which is just mind-boggling. I mean, it's almost as if they threw the smarts a bone saying, hey, look, we're going to have Roman lose a match. But and I, and I get that they wanted Roman to beat Lesnar and things, but they could easily have gone to some sort of thing in which it was a triple threat match between Reigns, Lashley and Lesnar at SummerSlam. That would have been a fresh match. It would have got at least some sort of interaction between Lesnar and Lashley, but no. So the match itself in insulation is really good match, well worth watching, um, but the bigger picture, hindsight's a wonderful thing again, type thing coming off of this. So here you go. Anyway, up next, we have Alexa Bliss versus Nia Jax in an Extreme Rules match for the Raw Women's title. Now, here's the thing. If you want to... The only way... you, you, you If you want a stipulation match to main event Extreme Rules, that makes sense. So that maybe makes sense why Reigns and Lashley didn't main event, okay? So you could actually have made an argument for... Even putting mass bias towards Alexa side, you could actually have made a, an argument for this match main event, and I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, it's an Extreme Rules match. The name of the pay-per-view is Extreme Rules. So there you go, there's that. There's also, when you look at it, it was the most personal rivalry going into this. It was the longest standing rivalry. 
because this goes back to WrestleMania, the whole bullying, body shaming angle, and then they've been uh, at each other for months, and then Alexa cashed in the money in the bank on Nash, so it was the most personal rivalry going. Plus, you had Ronda Rousey in the crowd as part, she was suspended from Raw, but she bought a, t- a storyline, bought a ticket to be at ringside after she got screwed out of the title by Bliss a month earlier at Money in the Bank. So there you go. You've got all the ingredients here. And whether smarts want to admit this or not, Ronda Rousey was over as fuck when she first got to WWE. Her crowd reactions were incredible. Just from WrestleMania onwards and things. And even here you hear the crowd are really chanting for her. So you could actually have made this the main event. And the match itself is fine. It's only about 10 minutes, but it doesn't. It does what it needs to be. It's wild. It's full of shenanigans. You get around the whole, well, as Alexa versus Nia, a believable match. Doesn't matter because it's got all sorts of interference. It's pretty wild. It's a fun match. It's exactly what it needs to be. Alexa wins after all this. Ronda Rousey jumps the barricade. It was full of shenanigans. You could have quite easily have had the pay-per-view ended with when Alexa's going up with the title and Ronda in the ring staring her down, that would have been a good way to end the pay-per-view and actually set up a match, a big match for SummerSlam next month to actually set something in motion for the next bigger show. But there you go. It is what it is. A great little match. I actually really like it. It is what it needs to be. And as it stands, the la- it is the last sing- title, sing- singles title defence of Alexa. So... The way booking's going, it could actually go down as the last one ever. So I'll always cherish this one. So there you go. One little aside about Ronda Rousey, though, I must say. I do remember when Alexa cashed in money in the bank, she was saying, oh, that's cheating. And then I remember a few days after this, she talked about Alexa cheating in this match. It's like, (laughs) hey, bitch, you can't cheat in an Extreme Rules match or a money in the bank cash in. It's legal. Come on. Know the rules of the fucking company you work for. Anyway, but there you go. But yeah, this was great. Love this. If it goes down as the last ever singles titles defense of Alexa, then so be it. I'm glad I've got the DVD of it. Put it that way. Uh, yeah, up next, uh, AJ Styles against Rusev for the WWE title. Again, you could have made a, a case for this main event with it being the top title in the company. Rusev was pretty popular at this time with the whole Rusev Day shit. I thought that was shit myself, but I just thought it was boring, repetitive and unfunny, but whatever. The Smarks liked it. Good for them. Um, the match itself is actually really good, but again, there's no stipulation. So, again, I get why you wouldn't main event a pay-per-view with a non-stipulation, and let's be real. It's almost typical WWE. The, the, the Rusev Day thing was kind of quieting down, so that's when they put Rusev in the title picture, when it's Kind of the momentum's kind of quieting down. <sighs> there you go. That's enough said. But I do like Rusev and I like AJ Styles. And um, this was a really good match. It's an entertaining match. Well done. Well played. I liked it. And then we finally come to the main event. Now, this is a golden example of why you do not give the Smarks what they want because they don't know what they want, and when they get what they want, they'll find a way to shit on it. They always fucking do. You have now got, in this main event, Seth Rollins versus Dolph Ziggler in a 30-minute Ironman match for the Intercontinental title. Okay, fine. Now, here's the thing. The match itself is fine. I actually think it's quite a good entertaining match, but there's several things wrong with this. 
in many ways with this main event. And one, Extreme Rules is meant to be, meant to be all about extremeness. So why is a work rate match, a match that's basically about work rate and in which you can get disqualified, and there is a disqualification in this match, why is that main event in a, a hardcore, well, what's supposed to be a quote-unquote hardcore pay-per-view? That makes no sense. <laughs> but the worst thing about this is we get to about, there's about seven minutes into this match and you've got the clock showing the score on the on the, on the the screen. But every time it gets to 10 seconds till the next minute passes, the crowds start doing the 10, 9, 8, as if it's the Royal Rumble. And then when it gets to zero, okay, and I'll admit, the first time they did it, when I realised what they were doing, I remember watching this thinking, that's quite funny. I did laugh the first time they did it. Second time they did it, I was like, okay, okay, we get it. Third time they did it, I was like, okay, enough. We get get the joke. They did this for uh, 23 minutes straight. 23 times the crowd basically did this. So the crowd, the Smarks, get the main event they want for this show and they shit all over it. And they act like absolute imbeciles because they don't know how to act in public. Anyone who actually sees these types of people would be like, no, uh, I don't want to be associated with these types of people. You got what you wanted. You got what you wanted and then you acted like this. Unbelievable. And anyway, anyone, most people, I remember watching this, any time I've ever watched this back, I've had to mute the telly when they start doing this because it's a, it's unbearably annoying. Unbearably annoying. But having said that, I'll go back to the match itself. The match itself is actually fine. I actually think it's quite a good little match and everything. I'm not really one for the whole work rate thing, but the match is fine. I've got no problem with the match. It's quite good. Uh, I think it's quite well, worked quite well in the bit when Drew McIntyre gets involved and basically beats Seth Rollins down, even though it causes a disqualification for Ziggler. That actually kind of made sense because Ziggler picks the bones and actually gets himself back in the match. That actually logically made sense. I don't mind. Uh, the fin- when the finish comes up, it's a draw, and then Kurt Angle comes out and says, hey, guys, let's do it again. And sudden death, it's like, yeah, it's, it's not Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Come on, the match was fine, but let's be real. It's, it's not Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Let's, let's not try and eat that finish. But within a few seconds, I think McIntyre distracts Rollins and then Ziggler hits a zigzag and retains so there you go but this was a golden example of why you don't cater to the smarks because these people do not know what they want and when they get what they want they'll shit on it but overall I will say I actually like the pay-per-view overall there's nothing bad on it even matches that I'm not that interested in it's fine it was fine I didn't it's, it's a decent enough little show. I always get my, my happy little moment of bliss that Alexa got a singles pay-per-view in, which might end up being the last one. So I might just have to cherish this one. So there you have it. There you have it. So there's the Extreme Rules 2018 review and the Extreme Rules series has came to an end. So um, what I'll be doing, I will plan on doing some reviewing some Summer Slams from the past as well, maybe in the in the build up to that show. So uh, I'll be maybe get a few of them done, some from the nineties and things like that as well, some more recent ones. But uh, thanks very much for listening. It's quite a long one this one. So thanks for listening. If you've listened, uh, goodbye. <laughs>